Hello, this is Pastor Nick Hood. Today I will be reading from Acts chapter 17, the continuing saga of the Apostle Paul, and 1 Samuel chapter 14, uh, where Saul the king of Israel is going into battle. He and his son Jonathan are uh, leading the troops and... Um, and now Saul is becoming uh, firmly ensconced as the king of Israel. So let's begin with 1 Samuel. Now a garrison of the Philistines had gone out to the pass of Mishmash. One day Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side but he did not tell his father. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah under the pomegranate tree that is at Migron. The troops that were with him were about 600 men, along with Ahijah, son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, carrying an ephod. Now the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. In the pass by which Jonathan tried to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on one side and a rocky crag on the other. The name of the one was Bozes and the name of the other Sene. One crag rose on the north in front of Mishmash and the other on the south in front of Gibah. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will act for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. His armor-bearer said to him, Do all that your mind inclines to. I am with you. As your mind is, so is mine. Then Jonathan said, now we will cross over to those men and will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and we will not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, then we will go up for the Lord has given them into our hand. That will be the sign for us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines and the Philistines said, Look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. The men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer, saying, Come up to us, and we will show you something. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet with his armor bearer following after him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer coming after him, killed them. In that first slaughter, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed 20 men within an area about a half furlough long in an acre of land. There was a panic in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. The garrison and even the raiders trembled. The earthquake and it became a very great panic. 
Saul's lookouts in Gibeah of Benjamin were watching as the multitude was surging back and forth. Then Saul said to the troops that were with him, Call the roll and see who has gone from us. When they called the roll, Jonathan and his armor-bearer were not there. Saul said to Ahijah, Bring the ark of God here. For at that time the ark of God went with the Israelites. While Saul was talking to the priests, the tumult in the camp of the Philistines increased more and more. And Saul said to the priest, Withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all the people who were with him rallied and went into the battle. And every sword was against the other, so that there was very great confusion. Now the Hebrews, who previously had been with the Philistines and had gone up with them into the camp, turned and joined the Israelites who were there with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, when all the Israelites who had gone into hiding in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they too followed closely after them in battle. So the Lord gave Israel the victory that day. The battle passed beyond Beth-Avon, and the troops with Saul numbered altogether about 10,000 men. The battle spread out over the hill country of Ephraim. Now Saul committed a very rash act on that day. He had laid an oath on the troops, saying, Cursed to be anyone who eats food before it is evening, and I have been avenged on my enemies. So none of the troops tasted food. All the troops came upon a honeycomb, and there was honey on the ground. When the troops came upon the honeycomb, the honey was dripping out, but they did not put their hands to the mouths, for they feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard his father charge the troops with the oath, so he extended the staff that was in his hand and dipped the tip of it in the honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth, and his eyes brightened. Then one of the soldiers said, Your father strictly charged the troops with an oath, saying, Cursed be anyone who eats food this day. And so the troops are faint. Then Jonathan said, My father has troubled the land. See how my eyes have brightened because I tasted a little of this honey. How much better if today the troops had eaten freely of the spoil taken from their enemies. For now the slaughter among the Philistines has not been great. After they had struck down the Philistines that day from Mishmash to Ajalon, the troops were very faint. So the troops flew upon the spoil and took sheep and oxen and calves and slaughtered them on the ground, and the troops ate them with the blood. Then it was reported to Saul, Look, the troops are sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood. And he said, You have dealt treacherously. Roll a large stone before me here. Saul said, Disperse yourselves among the troops, and say to them, Let all bring their oxen or their sheep, and slaughter them here, and eat, and do not sin against the Lord by eating with the blood. So all the troops brought their oxen with them that night, and slaughtered them there. And Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was the first altar that he built to the Lord. Then Saul said, Let us go down at the Philistines, after the Philistines by night, and to spoil them until the morning light. Let us not leave one of them. They said, 
Do whatever seems good to you. But the priest said, Let us draw near to God here. So Saul inquired of God, Shall I go down at the Philistines? Will you give them into the hand of Israel? But he did not answer him that day. Saul said, Come here, all you leaders of the people, and let us find out how this sin has arisen today. For as the Lord lives, who saves Israel, even if it is in my son Jonathan, he shall surely die. But there was no one among all the people who answered him. He said to all Israel, You shall be on one side, and I and my son Jonathan will be on the other side. The people said to Saul, Do what seems good to you. Then Saul said, O Lord God of Israel, why have you not answered your servant today? If this guilt is in me or in my son Jonathan, O Lord God of Israel, give Urim. But if this guilt is in your people Israel, give Thummim. And Jonathan and Saul were indicated by the lot, but the people were cleared. Then Saul said, Cast the lot between me and my son Jonathan. And Jonathan was taken. Then Saul said to Jonathan, Tell me what you have done. Jonathan told him, I tasted a little honey with the tip of the staff that was in my hand. Here I am. I will die. Saul said, God do so to me and more also. You shall surely die, Jonathan. Then the people said to Saul, Shall Jonathan die, who has accomplished this great victory in Israel? Far from it, as the Lord lives. Not one hair of his head shall fall to the ground, for he has worked with God today. So the people ransomed Jonathan, and he did not die. Then Saul withdrew from pursuing the Philistines, and the Philistines went to their own place. When Saul had taken the kingship over Israel, he fought against his enemies on every side against Moab, against the Ammonites, against Edom, against the kings of Zobah, and against the Philistines. Wherever he turned, he routed them. He did valiantly and struck down the Amalekites and rescued Israel out of the hands of those who plundered them. Now the sons of Saul were Jonathan, Ishvi, and Malak Shua, and the names of his two daughters were these. The name of the firstborn was Merab, and the name of the younger, Michael. The name of Saul's wife was Ahinoam, daughter of Ahimaaz. And the name of the commander of his army was Abner, son of Ner, Saul's uncle. Kish was the father of Saul, and Ner, the father of Abner, was the son of Abiel. There was hard fighting against the Philistines all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw any strong or valiant warrior, he took him in to his service. Now this is critical, that last verse. He took him into his service if he ever saw a strong or valiant warrior. Uh, We're going to be reading shortly about David and his rise to power. And he, he rises because he's a strong and valiant warrior, one who kills Goliath of Gath. I'd like to raise a few questions for reflection upon what we have just read. Number one, what is your general impression of the relationship between Saul and his son Jonathan? 
2. What image of the emotional and spiritual state of King Saul does this chapter present? Uh, and I would just add a little footnote here. After reading this chapter again, uh, it seems to me that, you remember in a preceding chapter, we read about how when Saul was anointed king, he went into a prophetic frenzy along with some prophets along the road. And people began to raise the question, is Saul also among the prophets. Well, it seems to me that reading this chapter, uh, chapter 14, that Saul vacillates between being king and priest. He's not officially a priest, but he seems to increasingly be taking on more and more of the responsibilities of a priest. You know, he prays before they go into battle. Uh, He makes the uh, command that they should not uh, eat Uh, before this particular battle, and uh, they're fasting, if you will, uh, maybe even a form of consecration going into war. And uh, increasingly, to me, it's looking like Saul uh, is flirting uh, with being a priest. Uh, Another question, what does Saul's decision to cast lots between the Urim and the Thummim tell you about the spirituality of Saul. Now you may not know what the Urim and the Thummim are, but they are stones that were placed in the breastplate or the epod of the high priest, uh, you know, who presided over worship in Israel. And those stones, I think, go back to an uh, earlier historical state of Israel when divination uh, was practiced. And so you see that uh, Saul calls on the Urim and the Thummim to indicate who has gone against his edict. And as it turns out, this is in um, verse 41, uh, as it turns out, it's Jonathan who's done this. Uh, next question, what do you think about the way Jonathan's fighters came to his defense against Saul? And finally, do you have any other thoughts about this chapter? Now we move on to Acts chapter 17. After Paul and Silas had passed through Amphilius and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days argued with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This is the Messiah, Jesus, whom I am proclaiming to you. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of them the leading women. But the Jews became jealous, and with the help of some ruffians in the marketplaces, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. While they were searching for Paul and Silas to bring them out to the assembly, they attacked Jason's house. When they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some believers before the city authorities, shouting, These people who have been turning the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has entertained them as guests. They are all acting contrary to the decrees of the emperor, saying that there is another king named Jesus. 
The people and the city officials were disturbed when they heard this, and after they had taken Baal from Jason and the others, they let them go. That very night, the believers sent Saul and Paul and Silas off to Berea, and when they arrived, they went to the Jewish synagogue. These Jews were more receptive than those in Thessalonica, for they welcomed the message very eagerly and examined the scriptures every day to see whether these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, including not a few Greek women and men of high standing. But when the Jews of Thessalonica learned that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul in Berea as well, they came there too to stir up and incite the crowds. Then the believers immediately sent Paul away to the coast, but Silas and Timothy remained behind. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving instructions to have Silas and Timothy join him as soon as possible, they left him. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he argued in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, and also in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Also some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers debated with him. Some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign divinities. This was because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So they took him and brought him to the Areopagus and asked him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? It sounds rather strange to us, so we would like to know what it means. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners living there would spend their time in nothing but telling or hearing something new. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor he made all nations to inhabit the whole world, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live, so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him, though indeed he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and more and have our being, move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we too are his offspring. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, 
And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some scoffed, but others said, We will hear you again about this. At that point, Paul left them, but some of them joined him and became believers, including Dionysus and Areopagite and a woman named Demarius and others with them. So I ask you some questions on this chapter. What are the similarities between the travels of Paul to Athens, Thessalonica, Berea, and his travels to Cyprus, and in particular the city of Lystra? Number two, what are your thoughts about the technique of Paul to go to the temple on the Sabbath and to preach and argue with the people assembled there to worship? Three, do you think the modern church could accommodate someone like Paul who showed up in church during worship to dispute belief in God? Yeah, I keep thinking about the Apostle Paul disputing people on three consecutive Sabbaths. And uh, I think, I said, boy, what would it be like if somebody just showed up in my church where we're trying to conduct worship and then they wanted to have a theological and biblical debate with the pastor? Uh, I think it would be quite an uproar. Uh, and finally, what are your thoughts about the people from other cities who travel following Paul to dispute his teaching? I'd like to conclude now with a word of prayer. Let us pray. Lord, show me the way. Show me the way to be more faithful, more hopeful, and more loving. Bless me today with your favor and your peace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This is Pastor Nick Hood, pastor and senior minister of the Plymouth United Church of Christ, located in the heart of Detroit and at the very tip-top of the medical center area of Detroit. We worship on Sundays at 8.30 and 11 in the morning and on Wednesdays at noon. If you're ever in the Detroit area, I invite you to stop by and I'd love to see you. Until tomorrow, this is Nick Hood and God bless.